Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Jim Jansen, and I'm your host for the EquipCast. If you need to be inspired, I think you're going to find some beautiful inspiration in our conversation today. Uh, we're going to be talking about an, an exceptionally beautiful ministry happening hidden from view. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the work that's going on in prison ministry. Uh, we have an old friend back with us. Uh, Jody Meyer is here, a familiar voice on the podcast. Jody, thank you for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. So Jody, you've been on the podcast before. Um, some of the folks know, uh, people have listened, you know, maybe they, they know your name. They know you work uh, for Alpha at a, at a regional level, but give us a little bit like, just like the little bio here because, oh, I don't know. How do I say this? Like, did you, well, did you dream as a little girl that you were going to grow up and do prison ministry? Was that like, <laughs> it was like ponies and fairies and and I hope to do prison ministry? Right. Yeah. No, not even the closest thing to the truth. That's right. So I grew up in the Lincoln Diocese. I grew up in a small town, small town of Crete. So small yeah. town during the best season where you could just ride your bike all over and play with your friends till dark and and freedom and joy and peace. I had two parents who were married to each other. Um, my friends in high school joked that they were June and Ward Cleaver. So they like actually called my mom June because they thought it was funny. And they'd come over for cookies, you know, because she'd always bake for them. And um, did she bake in pearls too? She did not wear pearls. That was okay, the one. But not, not quite that far, but still. Right. Yeah. Okay. We did not have a white picket fence, but you know, the general idea um, was I grew up in a family that um, where I went to, we went to church. I was introduced to the faith from an early age. Um, my mom was a practicing Catholic, so um, I've never been apart from the church and I've never, and I've always known love. Like I've always known mm -hmm. that within my family, I was loved and um, never questioned that. And so um, it's interesting to kind of think back when I first, when we first had the opportunity to do prison ministry, you know, my thought is I have nothing in common with the people that I'm going to be sitting across the table from. Like this seems like I'm completely out of my element and this mm -hmm. is a foreign world. Right. Um, but God is, God has a sense of humor and he surprises us sometimes um, when we learn how much we actually have in common with our brothers and sisters, um, even who have very different life stories than we do. Yeah. Now for those who, who don't, you know, the, the context of this is your work with Alpha. For those who aren't familiar with Alpha, give like the little sound bite. Like what is Alpha? Yeah. Alpha is a tool that can be used to equip the faithful to share their faith um, in a way that's winsome and authentic and engaging. So it proclaims the gospel in a really simple way. And really the heart and soul of it is that we pray for the guests, we share the gospel, and then we listen. And if Alpha's done really well, we just listen really well. And we love on the people who are there um, to receive. And we allow the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit in to do all the rest. And we trust him for that. Gosh, Jody, I, I love that. Um, I'm glad I asked you the question and not in reverse, because 
I don't think I would have had a bad answer if you had asked me what alpha is, but I, I think I might've described it as a, as a, a tool for people to encounter the gospel. But I love the way you shared that. It's no, it's a tool for people to share the gospel. Just as the folks, you know, like those of us who have received a gift or who have found the, the pearl of great price, it's a tool that helps us share it. And I don't know why that just, that, that, that just hit me. It's, it's a tool for those of us who found it to share it. Um, and I just appreciated that, that orientation, not, you know, it's not just, it's, it's not just for, for the others. It's actually, it's the tool for me because I'm the one with the obligation uh, to share, um, yeah. to, to give and, and spread that gift that I've received. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it's a little difficult to explain when you're promoting it, maybe within your parish um, oh, yeah. and sharing, trying to describe what it is because some people will hear, oh, it's an introduction to the gospel, um, mm-hmm. basics of Christianity, something like that. And they'll immediately check out and think, oh, well then I'm done. I've been in the church my whole life. I don't need this. Yeah. Um, and yet what we've actually found is that no matter where you are in your faith life, um, no matter how long you've been sitting in a pew no matter how close your relationship was with the Lord, there's something that you can get because either you can maybe gain an insight by looking at something in a little different way. Mm-hmm. You may grow closer to the Holy spirit. That's common for many people. They haven't learned a lot about the Holy spirit. And we talk about that on alpha. So there's some, maybe some new things mm-hmm. um, or a refreshing of your memory of about some things. Uh, but the other piece is that if you're not bringing other people to Jesus, if people aren't, falling in love with the Lord on the basis of your love for the Lord. This is a tool that's hard to do. It's hard to share our faith. And this is a tool that makes it as simple as inviting people to dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, Come watch a video, have dinner with me. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back, but we'd just love to have you come. And that's the easiest, um, I think, on-ramp into sharing the gospel that there probably is. So that's, that's part of the beauty of it. Yeah, I love the way, you know, it's well well known to a number of, of folks that have had such good experiences. You know, one of the, the Alpha's biggest fans is uh, the folks from Divine Renovation, Father Father James Mallon. And I love the way he talks about how it creates a culture that people, yes. people who desire, well, to, to see the gospel, to introduce people to Jesus, it, it's like it's training wheels. It creates a context and a space, and it's this very subtle formation in, in really how do we take what we've found and experienced and begin to rearticulate it uh, for a world that is, has kind of been there, done that. They yeah. have used us with a little bit of skepticism. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think the other piece is that um, there are so few places in our culture today where you can be listened to well. Mm-hmm. And that's the really unique when this is done. Well, people find that they can come in and instead of being preached at or argued with or corrected, they can just be listened to and loved. And that's as powerful in prison as it is in a church basement, you know? Yeah. So let's jump. We're talking about just about culture, talking about listening. How did alpha get started in prisons? Um, Particularly here in Nebraska. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, if we zoom the lens out a little bit further, the really interesting story is that there's a woman in London who 
um, actually began. She looks like Mary Poppins, maybe like she's the last person you'd picture, like showing up in a prison to do prison ministry. And she's done it all around the world. And she's kind of a catalyst actually for getting that into prisons, but that's going back a number of a couple of decades. So, um, in Nebraska more recently, about five years ago, we launched, um, our regional office here and, um, some of the members of our initial board who are responsible for kind of, um, getting that started, have a love for prison ministry. And honestly, it was just the, the good timing of God to open up this opportunity. Um, ironically enough, we had invited the director of the Department of Corrections to our launch event, our Alpha Nebraska launch event, because we, we had prisons on the radar, not necessarily thinking we would get that engaged, but we invited him to our launch luncheon. And he texted 15 minutes before the event to say, I can't come because two inmates just escaped. <laughs> and so there's some irony. I look back on that story. Wow. Maybe this isn't oh. worth sharing, but I look back on that and laugh at the fact that, um, like even in our very launch event, prison related topics were front and center. And, um, and it's just ironic to think that we've, um, it's been such a part of what our team has really felt called to in Nebraska. Alpha certainly serves churches and communities and all kinds of populations. Yeah. Prison's just one of them. Um, but in Nebraska in particular, um, our team has just really felt a calling from the Lord to pursue that. And um, the Lord has opened doors to make that possible so that we can. Talk a little bit about that team, because, you know, both you and I have been raised Catholic. Uh, but the one of the, the beautiful things about Alpha is it really has a uh, an ecumenical uh, flavor to it. Talk a little bit about that team. Yes, for sure. So. We are members of our Alpha Prison team that are part of churches from different areas and different denominations. Um, one of our key board members who's really been a supporter of the prison work goes to the Presbyterian Church here in town. Um, we had someone from the Dutch Reformed Church who was volunteering with us for quite some time. Um, and then there are a large number of Catholics on our team um, who are volunteering as well. But one of the interesting things... Um, and this is true. We say this is, well, scripture says it's true, um, that, a, that we have to be, okay, help me with the scripture verse here. Um, we can't really share the gospel well, unless we are united. Jesus prayed for unity, right? He prayed for mm. unity that we would be one as the father and he yeah. are one. And when we are divided, when we're fractured, we're fragmented. Um, we are not a compelling witness to this to the world in general, but to this current culture that we're in. Um, so yeah, unity and ecumenism like is actually one of the really unique and special things I think about Alpha because it brings people um, together on to share the things that we hold in common about the faith. So that's good work in and of itself. We have a chance to dialogue mm -hmm. and, and interrelate and work together on something important. But um, what's really interesting is that we've had a chance, we've gotten feedback from the inmates that we work with who say, I've always turned down Christian programming. I've never gone to this stuff because I feel like you guys can't even agree yes. with each other. Why, who am I supposed to believe? And why should I listen to either of you, any of you? Right. And they come and they see that we're working together. They come and they see that we love the Lord and that, and that is compelling. I mean, we've heard that from class after class. There's, there's an inmate in every room, I think in every group that is astounded by that fact alone. And that's compelling. And that, um, invites them to take a look at this a little more seriously. So, yeah, Jody, I love that. I mean, that, that really resonates with, with my experience doing 
uh, campus ministry that our, our unity, well, our disunity is a countersign. Yeah, I mean, you're, the scripture you reference is Jesus at the Last Supper. And so, you know, Father, that they may all be one as you and I are one so that the world may know. And when we do live in unity, it's, I mean, that's part of what was really attractive about the early Christians. And when we don't, it's a, it's a countersign, but particularly for, for those obviously outside a faith tradition looking in, they're like, well, I mean, yeah, they can't get along. And it's interesting. I mean, my experience, you know, there's kind of like that old line, right? There's no atheist in foxholes. And there's, there's no denominations in foxholes either. I mean, there's just one of those things that when, when you are intensely engaged in mission, particularly the, the uh, evangelization, it tends to spark a real unity, not, not, you know, cause I think sometimes I know some of our listeners are, are, are maybe thinking of like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. A superficial unity. Like let's agree to disagree and not talk about anything important. Right. And like, no, I mean, my experience again on college campuses, which if you didn't catch the reference, uh, yeah, it, sometimes it feels like you're in a foxhole there. <laughs> it, uh, it, it gets an extremely secular place in, in our culture. The unity between uh, those of us who were there preaching the gospel was really beautiful and profound. Um, and I, I love, I mean, John Paul II actually says the same thing. I used to feel, yes. used to feel guilty, you know, cause here I am, I'm paid to evangelize college students and I'm like, yeah, but these really awesome conversations keep half happening with my evangelical and non-denominational and, you know, Protestant, you know, peers and, and I was kind of like, I don't know if I should be doing this. Like, this is not what I, why I'm supposed to be here. And it's John Paul II in Redemptorius Missio. He actually talks about it. It's the same spirit that is compelling us in evangelization is also working in ecumenism. And, and he, I mean, he makes the case that the two will always go hand in hand. So gosh, I, I love, exactly. I love that. Absolutely. How did it get started? You didn't just like show up on a Wednesday afternoon and say, hey, is anybody <laughs> is anybody free? Yeah, prisons don't exactly let you operate that way. That's for sure. Yeah. So it's a unique context. Um, we had the opportunity to just share a little bit about Alpha with some leadership with the Department of Corrections. And at that time, like I said, the timing was just amazing that they were open to having more programming. Um, if you've followed the news at all, you might be aware that there's some um, some challenges facing our, our correction system in Nebraska, um, yeah. overpopulated and, and some other things, understaffed. Um, and so they were open to having programming that would impact um, the inmates. And so we started off actually in Tecumseh was our first location. So we've been doing that for nearly five years there. That was where it began. And from there, we met with staff at other institutions and we've expanded a little bit. COVID threw us for a little bit of a loop Um Obviously, not being able to go inside, You're but we not have the done only it. one. I know it exactly. We have done Alpha over Zoom in prison in Tecumseh. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we're all looking forward to the opportunity to be back inside and and minister face to face. Okay, so just for those who don't know, Tecumseh is a state prison. Yes. Uh, what's the population? How many how many souls um, are in Tecumseh? Roughly, we, roughly, I'd say roughly eleven hundred. Okay. Okay. And all men at Tecumseh? Yes. All men. Okay. That's a, it's a maximum and supermax um, prison. So um, all of the protective, protective custody inmates in Nebraska go to, um, go to Tecumseh. Yes. 
Okay. So just talk a little bit about like how you get it. Cause I think, you know, any of us who've been raised uh, within a, a Christian tradition, you know, Catholic, it's like, Oh, we got, yep. The corporate works of, uh, of mercy, you know, visit those in, in prison, but there's some planning required. There's some conversations. There's, there's a few hoops you have to jump through, which I think understandably could present an obstacle. Just talk a little bit about like what you had to do to, to get started there. I mean, clearly there's been some relationships that have been established step one, but yeah. So we had to learn, I guess, a lot to begin with. So establishing those relationships allowed us to kind of schedule the time and book the, you know, get this on the record and, um, or on the calendar in the institutions. Um, and actually that's what, um, well, we can talk a little bit more about next steps later, but the, um, learning how to function within a prison. So there's training that you go through um, mm-hmm. if you want to be a volunteer with the Department of Corrections. And so we learned so many interesting things that you would take for granted and not really think about. So yeah, like, like what do you learn? What do you, how do you train um, someone to be in a prison? So the Department of Corrections does that part. Thankfully, we don't have to do all that. But yeah, some of the things like um, the clothes that you wear, shorts are never, ever allowed. Um, hmm. Women should not wear skirts or dresses. Um you cannot bring anything and you'll go through a security check as you come in. So a little bit like going to the airport, only different. And, <laughs> and you want to give thought you can't bring a clicky pen because clicky pens have springs inside and the spring could be used for not good purposes. So you can't bring a clicky pen in ever. You have to wow. itemize the things that you're going to bring in. Here's the, here's the funniest like learning curve that we had. So in most prisons across the country, they don't typically allow food to be brought in. Mm -hmm. Um, Food is a big part of alpha. We like to, there's something about the relational aspect of sitting across from each other, having a meal. There's just something so human and important about that's what Jesus did. You know, he, he ate with people um, and shared the good news that way. I mean, that's just so fundamental really is, is how we viewed the meal. And so thankfully, again, just by the grace of God, our department of corrections did allow us to do that. So we were bringing food in um, we'd itemize hot food and everything. And that was such a draw, um, to the inmates. Of course, that's, I'm sure it's a yeah. huge blessing to get, you know, really high quality food. So a huge draw, which we wanted it to be, which is great. Right. But we showed up one day with fried chicken, uh, giving no thought to the fact that it has bones and yeah. that bones could be used as weapons and that fried chicken can't come into a maximum security prison. So, wow. so we have since learned chicken strips have made it in since then, but we chicken have not stri- yeah, made chicken. that mistake again. Raisin so. canes. Yes. KFC. No, <laughs> exactly. Wow. Cross that off your list. Little, little drummies. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah I'm just like the, the clunky pen are like, Oh yeah. Drumsticks. Not a good idea. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, you were you were very well received. Talk a little bit about how things went as you were getting started. Well, we started with a group of six men because this was we looked at it as kind of a pilot program. We were going to start small. Yeah. They were you know proceeding with caution a little bit, and let's see how this goes. Um, and I remember, I, I guess if I can, I launch into some of my favorite stories. Is that yes. is that the invitation Go here? Go get them. Yes. All right. I would love to. So one of the inmates on our very first course, his name is Andre, and he's shared his story. Um, so some people listening might have heard it before, but he was at that first table on that first small group that I was in mm-hmm. in Tecumseh, and um, he came in. He was angry. So he'll describe the story. He came in. He's angry. He's angry. He's in prison. He wakes up every day. He's angry about the fact that he's there. Um, he sees no future, no hope. He's mad that he's not 
you know, able to be with his family and all of that. So he comes in very skeptical and kind of arms folded and and just sits there quietly and, and kind of listens. And week by week, um, kind of those walls came down, the barriers came down, and he began to, I think, open up a little and trust a little and listen a little. And um, like, I still remember it's cemented in my memory and I hope it always stays there um, watching kind of the light bulb come on over his head in the middle of a discussion when he had this aha moment and realized that um, God may have allowed him to go to prison so that he could come to know God and that there's purpose in this and there can be value in this. There can be hope even where he is. And that realization, the power of hope and the power of knowing that God loves him changed everything. And so by the end of the course, um, it was so interesting. We, we transitioned from one group to the next group of participants by having a celebration event and the, mm-hmm. the outgoing group shares their testimony of what, you know, what God did through the last number of weeks with the new group. And Andre was, um, he was so worried about what to say. Like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't talk. He's not a public speaker. I I honestly Mm -hmm. wanted to invite him on this call, but timing wise, it didn't work out. And he was so um, worried. And then the day came of that celebration event and he, he preached it. He, I mean, he was a regular Zig Ziglar. He was walking around the room. He had the arm gestures. This man was like sharing, like, no, I'm like, who is this guy? You know? just the, the change was so, um, dramatic. And so, and I know some people, when I mentioned prison work, there's a little bit of skepticism that like, okay, yeah, the jailhouse conversion, you know, like, oh yeah, this in that the thought is that inmates make this insincere, um, sort of profession of faith for their own, um, manipulative purposes, you know, that they might, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, receive benefits or something, you know, dealing with parole or whatever, like, you know, they want to proclaim yeah. it even, even if it's not sincere and, you know, maybe that happens. I've, I have yet to see it in five years. I, what I see and what I've seen really truthfully has changed my relationship with God forever because I have mm. watched what it looks like to see um, someone coming to know the Lord, to see the Holy spirit work in the midst of a small group discussion, to see a heart changed and all of the external changes that come along with that. Mm. And the fact that when God does those things, they last, you know, when God really intervenes in a heart and changes a life, um, you know, we're all, we all, we all fall. It's not like there's a, you know, rainbow and there's no challenges, you know, you know, going forward, we're all sinners. We all continue to have to pick ourselves up and repent and everything else. But um, I can say for sure, Andre's now been out. Um, he was released a year ago. He's been out of prison for a year. Um, he's in contact with the volunteers who were very first, including me, um, who mm. were first involved in that very first alpha. He's working a job that he's proud of. He's working hard. He's he's making good decisions. He's thinking about becoming a pastor someday. Um, he's walking wow. the walk. And his his decision to walk the walk, even while in prison, has impacted inmates in Tecumseh because there are people who got on a list to come to Alpha because of his testimony. How do fellow prisoners, the typical population, how do they react when somebody has this, this experience, this, this conversion? Is that received well or curiosity or disdain? That's a good question. Um, 
I'm not sure that I can answer that adequately, but I can say that people noticed. Mm-hmm. So Andre made the comment that people noticed that he was responding to corrections officers differently. He was, you know, saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Being cooperative, mm-hmm. being respectful, even when maybe they weren't being treated um, in a way that would draw that reaction naturally. You know what I mean? Right. Even if, yeah. even if someone's being kind of gruff, he would respond entirely with, with respect. And, and they noticed that there's something different here. I think it was intriguing. And he's like, a, you know, that's the beauty of evangelization is that there are people that I can witness to yeah. that my pastor can't, that you can't because of the relationship. And Andre, it's such a compelling story because they saw the before and they saw the after. And yeah, there's, you know, Andre just has to explain what happened in between. You know, I'm kind of quoting yeah. from the chosen just a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Well, and they, they know, they know him well enough. They're like, man, if that, like only God could do that to, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> right. that's yeah, that's Andre's right. story. And so many of our, so many of our stories um, yeah. talk a little bit. I, I, we want to I'm respect the, the, you know, the privacy of these stories, but Andre wasn't a jaywalker, was he? Right. I mean, some of the, the, these folks, I mean, you already said it's, it's a maximum security prison. Um, those who have kind of restraining orders um, talk a little bit about like what, if you're sitting there, cause you've got how many groups now have, have you all had a chance oh, to do? 150 inmates have gone through. We're only limited really by, we have like hundreds on the waiting list to go through. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So 150 inmates have gone through. So a typical group of six as you're doing this, Tell now 16, just, I should say, but 16. Yeah. Okay. So 16. tell us about the stories of these 16 yeah. men that are sitting in front, in front of you. Oh, like what was their life like? Yeah, they didn't have the picket fence. Yeah. They did most of, most of them just give us a sample. Cause I know there's just so many of them, but in some ways that might be a purer um, uh, sampling. Cause you've seen so many now come through. Yeah. Um, I was talking with one of the correction staff um, earlier this week and asking and, and with my volunteers that our volunteers for um, prison alpha, just to ask, what are your favorite stories? What are some of the things you've seen that are most memorable to you? And his words um, of this one gentleman, one staff member today were that he is most moved by the men who have um, made the comment that when you came in, when you volunteers came in, we knew we were loved. And he has heard that from um, Muslims and from Satanists and from others who've attended Alpha, that mm. when they came into the room, they knew they were loved. And some of them have never been loved. This was, these were his words. Some of them have never experienced love in their life. Mm-hmm. One memory that stands out for me is um, of prayer ministry with a gentleman um, down in Tecumseh. And, um, during the Holy spirit retreat. So there's a time where we pray individually with people and in praying with him, um, this man was sobbing. I mean, tears on the floor, sobbing. And he shared with the volunteers things that he's never shared with anyone about some trauma, some abuse that happened to him when he was a young child. And here he's a man in his sixties, um, incarcerated for life. We, we have no way of knowing, um, how much trauma, how much brokenness, how much um, how many wounds have, have taken place long before they ever get to the point that the, um, that the incident that led to their incarceration takes place. 
Um, it's always a complicated story. Um, Sean is one of my favorite stories. Um, this is from uh, another correctional center here, um, facility here in Nebraska. He came in very uncomfortable in his own skin, very, you know, just kind of nervous. Like, I don't know why I'm here for sure, but, um, but he was there. And um, as the weeks went on, again, I watched the wall come down. I watched, in his case, it was in the form of tears. We'd play a song. Mm. Um, in fact, if you have time and you want to indulge me in a really cool story um, of God working in that, the music is, okay, I'll just keep going then. Um, so Sean was in my school group and he, you could see a change taking place in his heart over time, um, week by week. And the other inmates made a comment too. He, we always pick a nickname in alpha that describes ourselves that is alliterative. So like I might be joyful Jody, you could be jumping Jim or, you know, something like that. He started off as shy Sean, um, because he just was uncomfortable by a few weeks in, he said, you know, I need to change my name to smiling Sean because he just was feeling this sense of hope that he hadn't had. And the other inmates in the group were like, this guy walks differently. He sounds different as he comes back to his cell. He, you know, they were noticing physically in his behavior, in his mannerisms, um, things were shifting for him. And I remember, um, one day heading down to this facility and I heard a song on the radio, David Crowder song, I believe about, um, you know, forgiveness and mercy and redemption and all of that. And I remember thinking I should play this song for the guys, you know, down at, at the Omaha Correctional Center. And then I drove a few more blocks and I thought I felt this nudge, like, you know, I should play this for the guys at the Christian center today. (laughs) And you can't just Wi-Fi things in at the prison. I had to download it to my computer. So I pulled over to a place where I had Wi-Fi. I downloaded the song. That is so old school, Jody. I know. I know. You got to adjust when you're in prison. That's for sure. So I get down there and um, I was a little late because I stopped to get the song and the, the, I didn't even know before I stopped to download it, what the video was, but the video itself, the music video was about a man who was sitting in prison, writing letters to his son. And those letters were going unopened for years and years and years. And at the end of the video, um, this man's son comes to see him and there's this reunification and it's really beautiful. Right. So um, I go into that alpha and play that song that day, not knowing that the day before Sean smiling, Sean in my group had received a letter from his daughter whom he hadn't heard of heard from in the time that he'd been incarcerated. Now, what are the chances? Wow! <laughs> Only God can orchestrate things like that. And he was so moved. Um, so I watched him watch these videos this, and the, the songs from week to week and just watch the tears. I mean, the cleansing power of tears yeah. um, that God provides, provokes, um, is I, it's just moving. His story was that he was, um, a foster child. He was in the foster care system. Um, there was an element of his story that involved, um, his, he had a sibling and his parents sort of had to decide who to keep and who to give up. There was some sort of really awkward decision like that. And he was, you know, Mm. basically rejected by his family when he was really, really young. And without going into, you know, more details, this, this, um, his story is one of someone deeply wounded, trying to fill that hole in their heart with drugs, with, you know, whatever seemed to numb the pain Mm -hmm. and then result, you know, experiencing the consequences and the results of, of that approach to healing pain, but without knowing that there's, um, 
know, that the love and the mercy of God can actually um, make such a difference in someone's life. So just picking up on that, what are, what are the unique gifts and graces of doing a ministry like this in a prison? I mean, I can guess as I, you know, I hear, uh, hear Sean's story and Andre's, I mean, just real, like profound life change. I mean, this isn't this kind of suburban blah. Yeah. These are, these are folks that are, I mean, they're in prison for life. They're, they're, they've had really difficult lives up to that point. What do you, like, what does it do for you? Like, what have you seen and experienced watching God work in this context? Yeah, it's, um, it has changed my understanding of the way that God works. Um, Watching him change someone's heart week by week before my very eyes has given me more confidence in proclaiming the gospel because I always understood and believed he could do those things um, theoretically. You know, we know he can, we know he does, right. we know the stories, but like, will he ever do that in my own life with the people that I love, with the people that I want to share the faith with, with, you know, will I ever mm-hmm. actually see that? So you're really walking, um, by faith as you step out to share, um, about the gospel, but it has, so it's encouraged me. It's given me more hope and more boldness, um, that what we're doing makes a difference, that what we're doing makes a difference, um, in this life and for eternity and for other generations. And so I think it's, it's increased my, um, just my desire to continue with that. I can, I can say for other, um, volunteers that we have all of them without fail unanimously would say they get more out of prison ministry than they put in. They get more than they give because the experience is just so moving and wonderful and joyful. Um, one of our, we would all carpool down to, to come sit together. And the joke was that we wouldn't drive back. We would just fly back. We were just on this Holy spirit high after, in fact, I came into our parish office one day and they said, how you doing? I'm like, I'm great. I just got out of prison and I wasn't intending it to sound <laughs> quite like the way you know, I'm, I'm doing fantastic, you know, cause I was on this high from watching the Lord at work. And, um, yeah, anyway, so, um, all of the volunteers, in fact, one volunteer said yesterday, the biggest frustration he has is trying to put into words what this experience has been like for him and what it's meant for him and to try to convey all of that um, in a way that does it justice. You know, that's the thing I was, I was praying about that earlier today that I wish I could put these stories and these experiences um, in such a way that it would do, I feel like all I can do is scratch the surface, but um, you know, my prayer is that that would be enough uh, because it is, it is just profound to watch. Um, Yeah. So I would say the volunteers are equally moved. Jody, do you find yourself more confident in the power of the gospel? And I'm almost, I'm almost hesitant to ask that question because it's like, I mean, you know, you've been boldly and clearly and consistently sharing your faith for years now as part of alpha. But do yeah. Do you find, do you find yourself more confident seeing the Lord work in that unique context? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly the perfect way to describe it because I have confidence um, in the Lord's working in every situation. But when you bring water 
into a desert mm-hmm. and have the ability to just see um, there's no extenuating factors that could explain the changes that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's truly just the power of God. It, and it's not anything we're doing. We're not doing anything that remarkable. Um, I love alpha. It's great, but it's, it's not really good enough to generate the result that we're seeing. But yeah. when you love unconditionally, when people, when a group of people come in and just love with no strings attached, except with no strings attached, that's one of the things that they often say is that we felt like we were treated like a human being. Mm. And to just acknowledge the dignity of the individual, regardless of sin. Yes. It has made me more confident in sharing the gospel. And, and honestly, if I can just add on some of the miracles that we've seen take place, miracles of healing, um, some of those things have made me so much more expectant, not just confident, but expectant when we pray, um, that those, that God intervening in our lives is not just a rare occurrence that we read about in a book about the lives of the saints. Mm -hmm. It's available for us here and now and today. And part of the reason we don't always see those miracles happening, maybe in our homes or our church context or or in other ministries, you know what I mean? If if we're not always seeing those, I've started to feel convicted about the fact that it's because we're not stepping out in faith to ask, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, you are, I'm, I'm drawn right to the, some of the stories in the gospel of Jesus's ministry, when he, it's a couple of times that Jesus is amazed by people's faith. Um, the happy one is like this, you know, the centurion. Uh, the, the scary one is when Jesus is, is kind of back in his, you know, his old stomping grounds. And he's amazed at people's lack of faith. And then the next line is even more uh, astounding. And therefore, he could do no mighty work because of their lack of faith. Yeah. And and I feel like there's something about our suburban, um, you know, safe, um, even the small town folks, you too, right? So our, our safe, comfortable parish lives sometimes that we suffocate what Jesus wants to do because we're able to self-medicate pretty well. And man, the folks in Tecumseh, they can't so they've 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 tried that and and that's how they got there. And their the, the desperation of the desert metaphor, the desperation makes it clear when the Lord is is at work and when he's moving. There was a staff member, correction staff member who was responsible for basically supervising Alpha as it took place. And mm-hmm. she sat in on several sessions of Alpha again, arms crossed in the back. She was not part of the course. She was not receiving the food. She was not being, she's just there to make sure that nobody gets hurt. Exactly. She's just a fly on the wall and there's very little chance of getting hurt. It's a very, you know, it's a much less, um, that I just, a little aside, it looks a lot more like hanging out in the classroom than it, than many people might be conjuring up in their imaginations. There's no, um, yeah. Anyway, creepy yeah. cell shadow. You know what I mean? It's, it's not that it's kind of like hanging out in a elementary well, school classroom. It's well lit, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all. Yeah. So anyway, but here she is just a fly on the wall. She's just sitting in the corner and she came to faith listening to the talks. And when she shared her testimony at one of the celebration events with the inmates, um, she admitted that part of what was so compelling to her was the difference she saw in the lives of the men who went through. She knew that they were different. And 
trusted that there's, there's something real about this. So she began um, reading the Bible in a year, listening to that, listening to an app related to that. Not the, not the new one, the father Mike Schmidt's one that's so popular. This was several years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was life changing for her. And then I'd start receiving emails and she'd be quoting scripture at the bottom of her emails as we'd be planning, you know, logistics for the day or whatever. And it's like, okay, that was, that's the power of the gospel and nothing else um, that made that change in her. Gosh, that's, that's awesome. Jody, we, we just touched on it a little bit. Could you talk, I, I'm sure our listeners are like, weren't you afraid at all? I mean, you, you said you almost implied that there was no, that you had no concern for your safety. If you yeah, talk a little bit to that for those who are like, uh, okay, I'm getting uncomfortable because I want to see these stories. I want to share the gospel in that way. I'm not sure I want to go to prison. Talk a little bit about just like, yeah, your fear of, yeah. Did you ever feel afraid? Were there, were there ever safety concerns? I mean, as I kind of think back, honestly, truthfully, not really. I really didn't. Um, it felt more like, it feels more like visiting a relative in the hospital, you know, mm. and then going to like the big conference room or something like that than it ever did um, something more um, complicated than that. You know, it's not to say that I'm oblivious or naive or anything else, but mm-hmm. I mean, truly the, I think the important thing to note is that these men are there because they're being defined by um, the worst moment of their lives, right? Yeah. They aren't living in that crisis moment every minute of every day, and especially decades into their incarceration. I mean, really, um, there was a a gentleman who, this was just a story one of our volunteers shared, someone wished him a happy birthday. He said, gee, thanks for reminding me that at 43, I'm still being defined by something stupid I did when I was 17. Um, wow. And and the amount of change, like it's, it's, I just heard Brian Stevenson is a really well-known author of just mercy. Um, mm-hmm. And I just listened to something he spoke about last night and he said, really what we're tr- what we're hoping to do, what, what our kind of sense of justice sometimes wants to do is incarcerate the crime. The crime is horrible. Like the, nobody wants that. And we have compassion for the victims by all means. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want that in our society, but in so many cases um, there are situations where you know, the sentence long outlives the elements, the behaviors, the thought patterns that got the person sentenced to begin with. Um, and there's so yeah. much talent and giftedness locked up in our prisons that you would be amazed, truly amazed. Yeah, I would, I mean, I, I would not want to be uh, judged uh, or I mean, I, I can't imagine how different I, I mean, how different I am from when I was 17. Extremely bad choices with real consequences for real people who are, you know, still decades later, victims are still living with those those consequences. Um, yeah. But yeah, gosh, these individuals, you're, you're like, it's not like they're in, you know, these moments of violence or what any of those, you know those, those moments constantly, you, you come and you find them as people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that's been the biggest surprise. Um, honestly coming into the room, not knowing for sure how this would go. Like, I remember, I remember this more with the second group than with the first, but looking at this group of men and thinking, you know, 
I just don't think I can really love them. Like I'm here to serve. I'll do the thing, you know, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. do the program, but I just don't know that I can see myself loving these people. And you sit across the table and you get to know their story and you get to hear their heart and their brokenness and their desires. And you recognize that these are human beings that really truly aren't all that different um, from yourself. Um, and then, and you kind of have to recognize or acknowledge the fact that, you know, they're for the grace of God, go I, like how, mm-hmm. you know, take away June Cleaver and the, and the white picket fence. And who knows, you know, I, I, there's nothing other than God's goodness that has prevented me from being where they are. And yeah. so um, I, another, I guess, way to describe it would be to say, as you sit across the table, like I've experienced God loving them through me with a love that is not mine, it's his. Mm-hmm. And to be a conduit for that um, is pretty amazing. How's your understanding of sin changed? Maybe just reinforced or reminded me of the fact that all sin separates us from God. Mm-hmm. And that God knows the heart. So the man judges, you know, man judges by the external, you know, factors and sees what's on the outside, but God judges the heart and our lives are always so much more complicated. Our situations are more complicated than we think, um, or than, than we might assume as we look at the, at the end result of maybe what landed someone in prison. Um, but it has, I, you know, those who have no sin can throw the first stone. I think that that um, those words mm-hmm. of Jesus were so wise and profound because it's so true. Um, I am not in a position to judge. You know, I, I don't like the behaviors that got them there. And I, I will be discerning. You asked about the safety piece a minute ago. Um, I'm not naive. You know, I'll be, I'll be wise and I'll be aware and there's boundaries and there's, you know, um, rules mm-hmm. and um, there are decisions that I will make to be a wise steward of this opportunity so that I'm, not taking undue risk or that I'm not, I mean, there are still people who are continue continuing to engage in behaviors that are not helpful. And I'm not going to pretend that that isn't true. Mm-hmm. And yet we can still come in with love and offer them what Christ has because we're all a work in progress. Um, and it's only fair to offer that to those who have been um, so marginalized, so, so forgotten about we know it's on God's heart. I mean, he mm-hmm. says so in scripture. So Jody, two things here as we maybe kind of come, come to a close yeah. one. Uh, I'm sure that there's somebody listening who maybe with joy and a little bit of dread, it's like, Oh no, <laughs> I think I need to do this. Um, so we'll, let's, let's touch on that second mm-hmm. for those, uh, the rest of the folks listening who they're, you know, it's not their call, at least not right now to, right. you know, to, to do prison ministry, but their heart longs to see God move in their family, in their work, their neighborhood, whatever their particular kind of sphere of influence their, their ministry field is. What would you say to someone listening who wants to see God move and, and they want stories like you're telling? Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, we would just start with the reminder that this is all God's work. It's all God's doing, and it all has to start with prayer. So 
Mm-hmm. I think if you want to see God move in your ministry, in your context, in your home, um, you got to start by being on your knees, begging the Holy Spirit to come and to impact the situation, impact the lives, impact the relationships, give you wisdom. Um, only, I mean, we have to never forget to ask God to do what only God can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and be persistent and be patient in that. Um, the other thing too would be, yeah, just don't give up. You're, you may be planting seeds um, that you don't know have been planted. It's a trust in that. And if you need to see, um, if you want to increase your belief in the power of God to do these things, then go to places where he's doing those things. Take part in ministries where, Mm. We are seeing God on the move. Come to an alpha celebration event, come to, you know, participate in alpha, sign up, find one, track one down, run it yourself. Because I can tell you stories all day long, but until you witness it for yourself, um, it's just a theory. It's just, it's just an idea when it's your lived Mm. experience to watch the Lord move and to be part of that and feel that um, it's different. And so, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Judy, where could people get started? Like if they, cause I, as I've listened, there's a number of things that really jumped out to me, but just kind of practical. Somebody's like, okay, I, I want to step one. I got to pray. Yeah. What's like, what's next? The other thing that we've learned is really that our presence speaks volumes. That's true mm-hmm. in prison, but I think it's true in other places as well. Um, oh Yeah. Our actions really do speak very loudly. Um, and so if prayer is the first step, then maybe list, maybe being present and listening is the second step and creating spaces where you can do that. So don't underestimate the value of hospitality. I think in our mm-hmm. world, like we're right now in a season where things are starting to open up. People are starting to be a little more comfortable getting together. You know, what a great, like, not that you need an excuse to call a friend you haven't talked to in a while, but what a great excuse to, to reconnect and, and minister with that um, ministry of listening and then be in prayer for, for people in our lives. You know, I'm reminded, as you say that I'm reminded of a, there's a quote from a famous uh, evangelist, you know, I, w- I won't say who, but just a, you know, e- extremely well-known evangelist, Christian apologist. And somebody's like, all right, so what would you do if you had, what would you say if you had an hour with like, you know, the, the most hardened atheist? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd listen for the first 50 minutes and then I'd probably say something in, in the last, in the last 10. Jody, anything else you want to you want to leave us with? You mentioned there are probably people who might feel a little tug but can't imagine themselves um, ministering. I, I would yeah. just love to encourage that um, we're kind of growing the work right now into areas far beyond just ministering within prison. Um, there's some exciting things happening around transitional housing, reentry housing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're definitely, one of our goals is to cultivate churches and organizations and individuals who are equipped and prepared to maybe walk with just one or two inmates as they're released into the community. We know that, um, 
inmates who participate in Christian programming inside and then upon release have a Christian community to walk with them, encourage them, support them. Um, the rate of recidivism, the likelihood that they'll wind up back in prison is, is next to nothing um, compared to the 30% or 27%, whatever averages that we're running in Nebraska. The church has a tremendous ability to impact our society in that way, just by, just by picking one and loving on them and, um, and walking with them. The other piece, oh, there's so many things, Jim, letter writing, visiting. um, There's so many ways it can get engaged, even just learning more about criminal justice issues. Yeah. Thank you. We, we, we didn't go there, but you can't, you know, enter into this system without noticing that the system, there's some things broken there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's this, this issue impacts more people than we might believe. You know, one in three adults in America has a criminal record, you know, so put it in this perspective. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. What? Can you say that again? (laughs) One in three adults in the United States has a criminal record. Wow. One in 28 students K through 12 has an incarcerated parent. So maybe it's those students that you might feel a heart to, you know, there's angel tree ministries through prison fellowship. There's, um, there are countless ways to get engaged in this. And it's not just some small sideline ministry. It just really has the power to impact our community um, in mm-hmm. a dramatic way as a taxpayer alone, even if your motivation is only yeah. taxes alone, $35,000 a year to incarcerate one person for a year, for one year. Um, you know, if you can, yeah. We, we can invest our time and energy in, um, in preventing some of that. We will have done a lot for society and for our churches and, and for our own families. So. Yeah. And this is uniquely a space where we belong as church. Yes. There's no government program that can do what the church can do in terms of ministering to broken people. Yeah. changing lives. Yep. Jody, this has been wonderful. Uh, where, where can people go if they want to find out more about Alpha, if they want to find out about, you know, prison ministry, or they're like, well, maybe I'll start with a letter writing or like, you know, just like yeah. if they, if they want to like, okay, I need to do, I need to take a next step here. I, or, or gosh, no, we are, our parish, we want to help some prisoners who are coming out. We, we want to help that transition. Where can they go to find out more information? Um, I think the simplest place we're forming teams that are um, working on all of those different elements. And I think maybe the simplest place to go would just be to send an email to note their interests so that we can pass them along to the volunteers who can kind of help them take the next step. So um, my email would be a starting point, Jody Meyer at alphausa.org, J-O-D-I-M-E-Y-E-R at alphausa.org. I'm sure you can include that in an email. Yeah, um, we'll prison fellowship is also um, a tremendous resource. They have Angel Tree, the program that ministers to um, the children of those who are incarcerated. Um, so you can just Google that online. And AlphaUSA.org has plenty of information about Alpha as well. Fantastic! Thank you, Jody. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for for being being with us, uh, Jody. We don't normally do this, but would you be willing? Um, I think what what moved me so much, I'd, I'd like to close in a prayer. And I think what moved me so much, I mean, I love just seeing the, the power of the gospel at work 
But what particularly, just as, as we were talking beforehand, what, what moved me was that the Lord is at work uh, in a hidden way. I mean, quite literally, you know, behind closed doors, behind bars. Um, would you mind just kind of closing us in prayer? And, um, you know, th- listeners, if you're, if you're driving, please do not close your eyes. Just, just join, <laughs> you know, join in, in heart and in spirit. But would you just mind closing us? Um, just, yeah, just in prayer for, for those, um, God's children, (laughs) those who, those who know him and those who don't, um, who are hidden from our view in prison. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just come Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for just your eyes to see what it is that you're doing in our communities and our ministries. And Lord, I particularly pray for all of those involved with prison ministry and for those who might feel called to it. Um, Lord, I pray that you will move in powerful ways. Um, Our prayer in Tecumseh has long been that, Lord, that you would change lives that would impact lives of others, that would change the entire culture of the institution, that would change business as usual, that would change the status quo. Because your gospel has the power to do exactly that, Lord. And we pray that you might um, do so in the places that are hidden, the places where it's unexpected, the places where there's no explanation other than your goodness and your power and your might, because nothing else could explain what's being seen, um, so that others will know. Lord, we pray that you would do this there so that the rest of the world, those who don't believe, would be given pause, that they would see you at work and they would pause to, to wonder, you know, who is this God who would minister and love on and change the hardest hearts, the most broken people. Um, and Lord, let that be an example of your love, that it might move hearts in all other places in our society, in our communities, in our state. Lord, the words is just coming to me right now is joy. Let this all be done in a spirit of joy, Un- joy that can't be contained, can't be bridled, can't be watered down, um, but just the joy of knowing you and loving you and serving you. And Lord, we just pray that your kingdom may come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, so we're going to link to all of those uh, places in the show notes. Um, so if you want to email Jody and uh, take your first step in uh, in uh, learning a little bit more about uh, prison ministry or alpha, check out the show notes. You can find them at equip.archomaha.org. Um, you can subscribe there to the blog and get all sorts of goodies um, when we post and, and drop new episodes. And uh, if this has been an inspiration and a challenge to you, we'd love to love you to continue the conversation and to share it with a friend. Thanks for being with us, everybody.